0: and welcome to the dice screaming podcast Ah! we're we're trying to get that fixed folks (laughs) i I really (laughs) that was not a defective screen like all the nuts and bolts were in place our apologies folks i'm trying to we're trying to get the vet to look at them but they won't yet so far (laughs) well yeah not until they find a better quality muzzle (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) because i bite hey i'm randy I'm Mike and we're the Dice and Screaming podcast coming at you again for another episode of wild and woolly times inside our gameosphere that we know and have and thanks to everybody for uh, giving us some kind feedback yeah we got some call-ins finally um apparently the letter to the editor on uh that tersely worded email I sent to the the head of Spotify seemed to work no I'm kidding um <laughs> apparently there's some kind of uh after talking with them that uh, they're just not giving the notifications anymore. So we have a backlog to go through. <gasps> and we'll do that at another time because we've got a, folks, we've got a heck of a show lined up for you. Yeah, you know what? Um, we'll just, de- we'll devote next uh, week if things calm down. Let's do our first half. Uh, catch up some calls.
1: Yeah, and we'll start with the oldest first and and then like uh, try to include them as we go. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll dedicate a segment if we have to. And if we absolutely have to, uh, we can always do a special hour and a half show, you know. Yeah, yeah, we can. because uh, we just literally love people that much, and we're so happy to have our, our call ins back. Just
0: on the- a very special dice of <laughs> screaming episode.
1: Oh great. Now I feel like it's gonna will it have Meredith Baxter Bernie? Oh no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a very special. Oh my gosh, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, the drug episode on Family Ties. If you don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> yeah,
1: perennial to the '80s. Whenever if it was very special, that was your warning that this was going to include a lot of homilies for tweens and teens. Uh, oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, it won't be the very special episode of Mike Douglas when they had Chuck Berry and John Lennon on there. That's a different thing. Look it up on YouTube. Chuck Berry's face when Yoko Ono starts singing to Johnny Be Good it's <laughs> uh, oh, probably going to be more like that which I'm very like, what the heck <laughs> <laughs> the real hero of that was the guy who cut off the microphone, the Yoko <laughs> he was the real hero <laughs> <sighs> but if you don't know who Michael Douglas is then this is all lost on you, so yeah, we gotta move on but you'd expect no less from oh, expect no less
1: from the semi-intelligent oozes of gaming oh, podcasting. Man. <laughs> hey man. Wait, I, at least like I... I was nice. Okay. I didn't go with the done pudding.
0: Oh, so. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. We're not well at least people. you know great oozes could have psionic powers being semi intelligent. I'm saying can you imagine like
1: just two <laughs> semi intelligent oozes just sitting there you <laughs> know, like, sending brain waves each other's way? <laughs> Nobody understands them but they do.
0: <laughs> they're semi intelligent. They're communicating. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> and we're glad you uh, joined us. So, yeah, we're going to uh, continue our coverage of the OGL. There's uh, OGL uh, 1.2 has uh, dropped, and we both had a chance to look at it. So we're going to give that uh, a little uh, look at. So we're going to devote that segment right after we get into uh, our normal routine. Of... What's our next
1: episode going to be? Okay. Uh, this is the Alvaromancer's final, final appearance. oh Uh-oh. Uh. Because he didn't listen well yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) He he wasn't listening. Uh, Our our last episode, he he had earplugs in. Um, (laughs) uh, However, he does listen carefully. uh, And although he's suffering from partial selective deafness, he did hear one thing that was shouted upon the breeze. And next week, we're looking at the Witcher. Oh, right. Uh, this is a deconstruction of the primary game system itself, the, the actual full release uh, rulebook by our Talsorian game, CG Project Red, Pong Smith and Pondsmith. <laughs> Pondsmith, who is a gamer like his father before him. Yeah. So, and his mother. At Witcher the Game. Uh, there will be like a little bit of talk, uh, I, I think, of our uh, disgruntlement with the, the Witcher Television without Cavil is no longer Witcher Television, so
0: uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty salty about that. But right. the game and the system thereof. Well, in the books, and novels, comics, and games still, and video games still stand. Yeah, those they're still out. They are there.
1: still awesome, and they are still out there. So,
0: just thinking of making another playthrough. I'm going to delete my old game of Witcher and start uh, another one, oh. just to replay the whole storyline.
1: Yeah. Uh, but it should be a marvelous time, and we're looking forward to it because you know, it's basically <laughs> this podcast is basically made of two people who are already fans. You're like, <laughs> you had us th- at Grim Dark,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. So, I've always looked at the witch as a better telling of the Warhammer world, it's a lot more intelligent,
1: okay, yeah. If somebody uh put their time and effort into a greater degree, you know. Although, let's remember the Warhammer world was cobbled together yeah, um, yeah, yeah. by a bunch of like drunk British college students who were really smart. Psychology and
0: philosophy, yeah. Yeah, and they
1: had a great sense of humor. So it I mean, looks But chaotic. you didn't get
0: Wickenstein Castle. Every time I said Wickenstein Castle, I would snicker to myself and everybody's like, the Wickensteins, yes. I uh, They must be expunged. <laughs> They're evil. Yeah. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> well, and the base characters for the, the campaign Wanda Wiltschmers, oh, <laughs> Werner Merman, Werner <laughs> Working
0: Man, literally,
1: Working Man, Johann Das Boot.
0: The, the, the boat. So, yeah, well, anyway, yeah, well, that's what we'll be covering next week. So, hopefully, you tune in for that one. We'll also be uh, continuing our coverage of the OGL in these segments. So, yeah, our
1: opening segments, as we mentioned, will be dedicated to a mixture of uh, introduction. Uh, call ins and recent news, and now we will also be including, as we had mentioned, prior portions of Dungeon 23.
0: Right, and so we're gonna do the OGL, then we're gonna go into uh, news around there and our reactions to it, and then we're gonna do a little segment on Dungeon 23, and then we're gonna get to Desert Desolation. So hopefully, you enjoy because uh, it's a heck of a show we got for you tonight, yeah. we. We're getting
1: so much material that we're piling up here.
0: It's all right. So we're going to get to it. So stick around. And it's the OGL dues on the Dice of Screaming podcast. <inconsistent opinions> That's right. Ah, got the papers the to stack.
1: Sec- Can't stop the signal, Mal. <trainings> <long> <sighs> <stuck> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's another week and a. Uh, more revelations from Wizards of the Coast. They revealed the OGL 1.2. They finally decided on an actual name from going from 1.1 to 2.0. Now they're decided back to 1.2. And what's that Kyle kid? I mean, that guy that what did he do? Draw short straws in the break room? Like, okay, somebody's got to go out and take the heat for this one. It's
1: just, there's a mob in front of the castle with the torches and and, uh, uh, pitchforks, and they just push this kid out the door in like some leather armor so he he looks like he's poor. Like them. <laughs> yeah. Just there, you talk to them. <laughs> um, I'm here to deliver a message. Well, his
0: name is Kyle Brink, and before you think it's made up name, it's an actual real guy. No, but, no, uh, I, I'm not implying that that's not a real person, no, but no, he is, uh, on this poor guy. He's basically being thrust out in front of the crowd. Now, it's kind of a shallow attempt by Wizards to kind of take the heat off of Hasbro Wizards of the Coast, which we're going to use interchangeably. So we may occasionally say just Hasbro or Wizards of the Coast, but we mean both entities because they are the same. Um, they have walked back to royalties now and the creative content license, but they really haven't in a lot of ways because they leave this whole OGL thing in up in the air. And while I do applaud that they're being a lot more open and conciliatory rather than that dude, bro, like, yeah, dude, we totally won that argument, too. You know what? We won, just like you did. It's win-win. Or is he weird, uh, creepy, cringe, like, oh, we just want to get to know you and your gaming better. We just want to help you create the best game you can while we take it away from you. Yeah, Uh, those tones have stopped and they've started to speak to us like actual people. um, I I admit that, although uh, I I did
1: appreciate the efforts of one particular person to like, okay, you know, like they want to survey the survey that they will only be able to examine through, you know, their subscription service, (laughs) through the remaining subscribers, and they consider that accurate. Okay, well then, for the sake of this, I'm going to get my hands on a copy of that. I'm going to retitle it as my survey, and I'm going to like let people do it in a purely public format where like I will not be determining what results I release to you. Uh, you know, like so let's see what happens when the regular internet does this survey or survey. What results do we get versus what they announced they got as results? Let's let's compare and contrast. Yeah. I approve of that. That's actual transparency where it's like, yeah, you know. Uh, what they contend
0: is... I'm going to definitely give them a piece of my mind, but I'm also going to continue to use our voices here on the podcast, our Dice History Screaming Facebook page, and my own spaces to continue to advocate and tell Wizards what I think that they're going wrong on this. Now, to be honest, really, all this transparency they say that they're doing walkbacks on, it's really not because we're still held under the threat that they can change or revoke their license. They're trying to say by giving it to a creative commons design that allows them no control on it, but that's only half true. They can reassert and take it away again. And until they really write themselves off, like the Orc license is doing where Paizo is basically we're hands off. We're just a part of this as much as the other people working
1: together. Yeah, They have not yet gotten to the point where they have prepared it in such a way that they are, irrevocably bound by it. Uh, (laughs) There has been a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that yes, in the short term they will be abiding by that, I'm sure. But they have the ability in the foreseeable future to make those alterations as they see fit and then consider you to be bound by them as well. Uh, That is exactly the thing that we're trying to get away from. That's what offended people in the first place. The fact that You know, we are altering the deal. I only have to experience that once to understand that that's not a very trustworthy entity. And until I see something that is powerfully uh, impressive, something that clearly indicates to me that, okay, they're actually bound by this too. Uh, And I mean, like, there's no way out of this for them that's what i want to see that's uh, like i'm not really impressed by much uh, because you only really got to burn me once before i'm ridiculously cautious they
0: they can say what they're going to listen but really what this survey is it's also to try to take some of that heat that's going on on reddit on twitter facebook groups as well as youtube commentary and isolate it into these surveys by allowing people to like breathe fire into these spaces. They can isolate and insulate their other areas that people could come across as content. And let's also not to fool ourselves here. As much as this is making, I mean, Motley Fool uh, covered this. CNBC co- is starting to cover this. It's
1: starting to get out. <laughs> My younger brother in Europe uh, on the Isle of Malta actually heard a news report about the you know, like scope of the dust up and damage done to uh, Wizards reputation by this release of OGL. And uh, the first thing he asked me was like, wow, you're like, do, do nerds even protest? Are, are you guys going to have to like put down your Doritos for a minute? You're like, can you march? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, <laughs> basically <laughs> their, their virtual uh, online money dried up. <laughs> Just boom, massive hit to their wallet. Oh yeah, then
0: let's let's beyond
1: D&D, the, the you know, the people voted with their pocketbooks instantaneously
0: and loudly. Uh and all of a sudden everybody <laughs> went into butt-covering mode. Right, they wouldn't be having this con- we wouldn't be having these levels of conversation if D&D Beyond was not seeing these cancellations and subscriptions. And for a lot of people this is not everybody a lot of the guys who and folks and gals that use all this stuff have been around in the gaming sphere to know what this is about before because we all remember force edition the gsl that was so horrible that almost no one signed up for it other than just like well we're in for a penny in for a pound i guess we're gonna just shoulder this burden
1: yeah I, you used to say you just can't you know you can't polish a turd uh well in the world of modern advertising and Orwellian doublespeak, we have learned that, in fact, you can polish a dirt, but it takes a
0: huge
1: advertising budget. Like, your marketing people got to be on point. So there is a prevailing belief that, like, there's a way we can turn this around and still sell this dirt. They tried their hearts out. And they're currently doing
0: it. And I I applaud their efforts to be (laughs) more transparent and engage with the community on an equal level rather than these kind of condescending, snide little commentaries that they give in the new ogls the new ogl going forward is a lot more usable but there's still some concerns the morality clause has to be approached with a standard of behavior not just a kind of feeling and if i know that that sounds kind of contrary to a lot what we talk about this is the ultimate of virtue signaling. What they're doing, they're trying to claim that they're defending the good
1: guys in this, no, defending yeah.
0: the content of D and D and the brand marketing of D and D. They're already doing that. If Justin Molassa, who is getting currently the pants uh, starting to get sued off of him, yeah, it hits in October. It's a slow motion pants fire <laughs> setting, but he is going to get his pants set on fire, and he is just. He's the worst. He he's literally the worst. And there are others well, too. He's a he is a
1: perfect example of somebody with bad intentions um, mm-hmm. who is damaging a brand. Okay, that like like a remora they have attached to the shark, uh, and you know they they're hoping to collect the scraps. Uh, this was a grift. You know, this was like I'm going to. Uh, go out here, stir up a lot of mud, make a lot of noise, and then depend on that to get me sufficient attention. Uh, and then like hopefully, uh, honestly, I, I think his real money is in begging for legal defense uh, assistance on the internet. like that's that's where they've really like raked in some bucks, which it's a racket. Uh, a lot of a lot of little nobodies do that. Yeah, like, because honestly, they're gonna lose, but they can get people who feel like they're fighting the good fight to throw money at them. I mean, to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. Which, if you're little nobody scumbags, that's actually a lot of money. Okay, that you know, like to a corporation, it's not. So now all they need is to like show up with a lawyer and lose, uh, and. Okay, they're they're not going to get to publish like, neo-Nazi the role-playing game or whatever uh, secret Nazi. You know, they're not they're not going to get to do that. But they weren't. That wasn't the goal in initiating the whole process. The it goal was, was like, oh man, like we're going to stir up some stink on them interwebs, and these dingbats are going to just throw piles of money at us. Like the the question is not. Uh, how much do we have to spend on our actual legal defense? The question is, like, how much of this will be left over? If we have, in good faith, shown that we showed up in court and that we paid a lawyer with some of these funds, if we have some of these funds left over afterwards,
0: that's ours. <laughs> right, but I don't think they're going to have anything. And he really hasn't made much money. That's the weird thing is that that's the usual grip for a lot of these uh, Con artist, but he has not done a a, a GoFundMe yet. I mean, I'm not going to put it past him, but he's, I think he's a true believer in his own stuff. But, uh... Oh, no. But he is the worst. But anyway, talking about, when they try to claim, like, Justin Linas is the reason why they need to put this morality clause in there. That's a a bunch of malarkey. And there's also a bunch of malarkey about that people owning their own content, they're walking that back completely and they're going to leave the OGL 1.0A alone. They're not. They're revoking it. And that's really at the crux here if they wanted to do a lot of those things that they talked about they could have just updated the ogl 1.0 a with just a few new additions and called it the 1.0 a b and everything would have been fine but no they had to screw with it, and here's the consequences. They're not going to get trusted. They were also very duplicitous throughout the the first two so called drafts that weren't a draft, but are a draft. But I... <laughs> we we put it in,
1: we put it in the hands of people that we expected to sign it in the next thirty days. But that was our draft. No, no, nobody signs drafts. Okay,
0: <laughs> right. I mean, Kickstarter it got showed a up D.O. in contract form. <laughs> Got it made a deal with you and because uh, they did show it to a few other industry people beforehand to work out a sweetheart deal, but, you know, here we are living in the age of the York. So,
1: yeah, I, I, I do want to take one moment. Uh, sure. People have made something of a stink about uh, the people at critical role, not being hard enough uh, on this subject. And, Yeah, A lot of people do not understand what a non-disparagement clause is, and these are things that appear in a lot of contracts when two separate companies are obligated to work together to produce a product. And there's about a 99.9% chance that the folks at Critical Role are under a non-disparagement clause. They can make a supportive statement about the uh, ORC, and all of the various companies in gaming and like it, it in no way poops or ridicules wizards for making some terrible choices they legally cannot do that they are bound contractually so you're not going to see them you know it's not that they're cowardly it's that if they do that it's breach of contract and wizards can literally tear them to shreds
0: and don't think they aren't because they're envious of the, the new in being- machina season
1: The popularity Uh that... Content drop. uh, Yeah, the the popularity that LOBM has achieved uh, in its uh, production with the first season was a clear indicator that they were onto something here. And now that critical (coughs) role has moved beyond being uh, a handful of people on YouTube uh, and we're talking about real mass media money. (coughs) Wizards really is not okay with like that slipping yeah you know, wow, that's an awful lot of money dropping into people's hands that aren't us
0: yeah so but
1: yeah big big component there so uh, but also uh the be 15... nice to the third party creators that are trapped legally with wotc at this time i'm not going to be mean to them
0: uh well no i think that it's also a lot of the employees of wizards ghost that have helped provide leaks and insight into the goings-on here should also be applauded for sometimes putting themselves in danger of losing their jobs for this. I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, some of them will have to be looking for new employment, uh, especially as it's been revealed who they are. And Wizards has uh, been very mean in how they've done this. They've been out, uh, their false information campaign and who leaked that has revealed them. And, uh, you know, shame on Wizards for that. That's, That's a terrible way to be. But I, I, It's not, it's unethical, but it is legal. Um, But also on that, I'm going to say this about Critical Role. I expect them to keep to whatever length of the contract that they've agreed to. And as soon as that or their expires or they're able to wiggle out of it, I look for them to create their own game system going forward and be done with it
1: yeah it will probably be orc based so
0: well the- yeah if they don't sign up with the uh with an orc license they have their own you know that was telling in that release that they reminded people that they have their own publishing company set yeah. up
1: uh, and they have worked in tandem with you know like they have released critical role product through the you know D D uh, wotc label uh, I expect that they will not stop publishing just because the relationship with WOTC sours or expires. No, They'll go their own they way. Will, they will continue to be producers of stuff. So I, I look forward to seeing
0: what they've got. Right. And, uh, you know, just wanted to end up here. The other encouraging thing is the org license has now grown over to 50, 1,500 signatories.
1: Yeah. So, like, basically, for those who, you know, don't think that it's a big thing, Uh, That comprises the bulk of the non-WOTC publishers of game material in the world. Like that, it's an almost—it's not a win-win, as you know. WOTC would like to say we're like, see, see, nothing, nothing that bad is happening. Everybody's on board with us, aren't we being awesome? No, about fifteen hundred companies have banded together to do something that will secure them uh and their ip against you
0: that, that's
1: a yeah, good choice when you parts. burn
0: bridges like that and expect ashes i mean that's that's what it is it's a, yeah and then we hate to turn a hard scope on wizards of the coast because i think at the core of it the the essential mission of the company is to make good games and I think that the management at Hasbro and has Wizards of the Coast have made it impossible to do that right now, and that's more as a pity for that. I, I am going to make a little speech here that, like this
1: tidbit, may be a little triggering. You know, it's a tough subject for some folks, but uh, it's like dealing with an addict. Okay, mm-hmm. um, when you have somebody you love, and they have that level of problem, where like they've descended down into like that panic state where. Uh, they're lashing out at everyone and everything, and it's not their fault, and there are reasons, and they're extremely toxic at that moment in their lives. And there is a moment where you have to disassociate with them. It does not mean you don't love them, and it does not mean that the door is open and waiting for them. You know, like you want to do a loving intervention, but you know, you you've got to also think about your own well-being first, uh, because there is only so much you can help someone who does not want to help themselves my door is open for wizards when they get clean and i will be ready and waiting so it's not this is not an irrevocable thing for the time being i'm gonna you're probably gonna see me being
0: a big supporter of orc projects so yep that's for me so hey we're there we're on we're signed on board so yeah all right well you know i think that rounds it up it was a little bit long um and I encourage everybody to seek out a lot of new podcasters, D&D Shorts, or YouTubers. D&D Shorts does an excellent roundup of it. Also, Rules Lawyer and Roll for Combat, as long as, as many others. There's a lot of people doing really good content out there, even just meme-worthy. Enjoy it, <laughs> take some humor out of it, for goodness sakes. And remember, even if Wizards does the absolute unthinkable and just continues on this path, there's always the 5th edition books. Don't throw them away. You're yeah. cutting your nose off to spite your face. No, boy, Wizards does not own player. a global strike team that removes your books yeah. and holds you at gunpoint to take all your campaign notes.
1: I will not insult people for continuing to use the system that they're used to working with. Like I, I will encourage people to try other systems and try other games, which <laughs> that's what we already do. You know, We're like, hey, other games are awesome too. We love them all. But I will not diss people for... Well, like, I've got this system that I really like, and I want to stick with it.
0: Okay. Yeah, don't let Wizards do the, ruin your campaign. Game on, bro. You know. Yeah, if you're playing a campaign in 5th edition right now, and you're using your uh, D&D Beyond stuff to make it the best experience you can for you and your players, continue on. But do not let Wizards, under any circumstances, ruin your fun.
1: Yeah, never let
0: And any we're not going to bully anybody or shame them into doing that. Yeah. So, all right. We well. don't roll that way. I think that's done, and uh, so now ends our weekly newscast of the OGL. <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so now we enter the Dungeon Twenty Three segment. This is our first one, so Mike has, uh, man, he really, how got, did you got yourself in this one,
1: Migo? Well, I had a crazy blitz of creativity when I got home that night because I was really, like, as I said during last week's podcast, I was really excited about this. Yeah, Really, it got that sense of creativity and uh, low pressure, which, like, I know that there are people who will get anxiety riddled and, like, kick themselves and try to, oh, I, I don't feel good about what I created. I'm begging you, walk away from that feeling. Walk away. Don't feel pressure. Just create a thing. It doesn't have to be a perfect thing. just has to be yours. And that is all it's gotta be. So with zero pressure, I went home and I blitzed uh, 15 encounter zones, okay? Uh, I started with the core concept and I'll just open with, uh, I'm, I'm gonna read off the couple of paragraphs that I wrote as the intro Okay, so yeah. I kept them nice and loose so that my teammate here, my co creator, uh, is not heavily bound by a bunch of details. Uh, and it was well into the Badlands, west of a lone trade route, the crumbled ruins of an ancient city stand in silence. Walls, a crumbling remnant of former glory. Rumors of strange creatures abound. And wise caravans and travelers do not rest until many miles are between them and the ruined city. Who can say what dangers or fortunes lurk within or below? And that was my intro. And so what I I developed as an opener were effectively 50% of a ruined city and crumbling walls uh, and the shells of buildings. And then I interspersed, although there are many crumbling shells that used to be buildings, I selected 15 items that were worthy of note uh, so that there would be exactly 15 entries. Uh, In this case, I keyed the map so that there are areas of wall that are either like high enough that they obscure vision or are in questionable condition, or finally, are absolutely crumbled and can easily be climbed over, while there are two areas that no longer or sorry, uh, I guess there are three oh. areas outlined, the south, east, and west entrances uh, with broad avenues. Um, there are no gates remaining, like everything has crumbled away, only, you know, ruined stone and uh, weather-pitted uh, rock uh, are still intact. So, I wanted to create the impression of extreme age. Uh, The the outer walls area uh, I then proceeded to cover with simple tests of dexterity to clamber over top of rubble if players choose to do that instead of just walking right through the entrance. Which, always worth noting, because players get the craziest ideas. Oh yeah, you need some mechanics. But uh, all buildings are mere shells except as noted. Uh, Walls are uh, crumbled or crumbling, and no roofs remain. Some walls, although unstable, uh, remain to a height of eight feet maximum, uh, and all buildings in like the two quarters that I outlined show debris and have signs of having once been residences or shops. Uh, so, <laughs> I then interspersed a just a handful of small encounters and minor treasures that were tucked in nooks and crannies. And I prepared about, you know, a a portion of wandering encounter tables for night and or day. Yeah, and I'm going
0: to add on to those as well.
1: Yes, I left plenty uh, of room.
0: So this is basically the Upper Ruins. This is going to be the first one. So this is an above ground site that you've come up with. And so I'm going to run with that. We have an overarching goal. Me and Mike have discussed, and we know the secrets of it. We're going to reveal a little bit each week. Yeah, as we go through this. It's so.
1: very loose, you know. We're, we're we've got some simple core ideas that are going
0: to guide us, and I'm sure they will be fleshed out to greater degrees as we move. So down. there's going to be a twelve level mega dungeon. So each month will reveal a new level. So this uh, top level here uh, is technically level one, although it would te- it, under the auspices of the first one, it's an above level one. So we'll have another. Uh, First, second level, a little bit more dangerous underneath this.
1: Yeah. You know, like either catacombs or sewers or something similar right. related. Uh, and then, like, it keeps, it stops just being mere catacombs and starts being true dungeons. Yeah. Dark things live beneath or unlive.
0: You don't know. You don't right. know. And me. So, we have an overarching plot that explains this in its entirety. So, you've got, uh, now you level these alphabetically. So I think that's a nice uh, touch right there because that we're not like at room numbers where you would be level keys, like room one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. I did like a uh, bulk area
1: one, which is all the outer walls right. and gate areas. And then I did bulk area two, which is an entire quarter of the city with a through, I think it was a through F, um, for the like six or seven encounter level events that I wanted to cover. And then area three, another quarter of the city with A through F, like mm-hmm. encounters that were worth having. And then the fourth was the enchanted uh, source of water, like the only remaining fully functional, clean well uh, that inexplicably held together by magic, a statue and well in the center of the city, uh, surrounded by the broad avenues that lead to each of the quarters. Uh, And that is where I stopped. When I hit the 15th written encounter, I took a deep breath and went, "Ah, there. Uh, I did not completely uh, fill the upper level with dangerous encounters i mean we're talking mostly rats scorpions spiders things of that nature uh, and i added some slight challenges uh, to acquire bits of like long forgotten treasure that like much of these ruins have been plucked clean so there there is not a great deal of value left laying around uh, a few lovely little trinkets can be found here and there However, I did throw in some dead adventurers that had some kind of horrible encounter at some point. oh And there is treasure on them. So uh, some some nice little you guys for the beginning level party.
0: Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll come up with mine. I have kind of a plan. But, well, it's as it's planned as much as any other. It only survives for the few moments before contact with an enemy is initiated. And then it all goes to heck.
1: Yeah, we're going to put up photos of, like, some of what's been done so far. Uh, and then, you know, like, we will update that again. Uh, like, you've got 15 days to go. Yep. So. I've got some days oh. to catch up, too. Yeah. But, you know, we're old
0: hat, so. Uh, yeah. this uh, Updates will be forthcoming. All right. So, we'll keep up on that. And, hey, it's kind of timely with everything going on because, hey, if you need new content for your OSC or Swords and Wizardry or Osward game, or even Castles and Crusades. You're getting here, and we'll put this all up. I'll get it typed up after each month. And then we're going to uh, find a place to put it, probably for Facebook right now, but we will expand. So I will be looking for a hosting site or a place to put it in. So if you're interested, you can download it and keep up and let us know if you do any adventuring in these uh, ruins, which we have yet to fully name because we're going to let it doing this a process of osmosis, but right now it's the lost city. So yeah, The you
1: know, lost city, ruined city, ruined uh, city. Yep. Forgotten city. It can be anything, uh, which is the wonder of dungeon 23 is that you can just, uh, there are no limits on where you want to go with it. Uh, y- your dungeon may vary. Uh, I could have just as easily done like, you know, the rooms in a starship. <laughs>
0: <laughs> True.
1: <laughs> or, uh, oh my gosh, Uh, you know, outdoor encounters in a huge forest, Uh,
0: or welcome to the underdark. Everything is terrible here. I hate it. (laughs) Great. I'm in the underdark. Hate it. All right. Well, hey. So we're gonna keep going on this and uh, just let us know what you think. And uh, of course that old Facebook thing or uh, apparently you still can leave us messages and we just don't get notifications until I go actually looking for them and then they were all stored up. So <laughs> <laughs> they're out there waiting for me. So all right. I, I love that a technical glitch was was what was doing that. I, I well love. no, it's on purpose. I, they're it's no longer be like
1: unwrapping Christmas presents that like got lost in transit. And then like all showed up on your doorstep at the same time. So I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of jazzed. It's like
0: mail call when you're on way out to sea on some dang ship. And then suddenly the mail uh, ship comes in and like gives you like three months of back mail. Yeah, pretty much it, it's going to be awesome. I'm okay. jazzed. All right. So we're going to tear in our other content, but that'll do it for us. So we're going to stay on. So keep listening and we'll get with Desert of Desolation. And hey, welcome back. Uh, here now we're on our main focus of the show, The Desert Desolation, which your folks have all showed up for. So, yeah, our OGL news and segment and uh, our Dungeon 23 updates are going to be a regular part of the podcast. So you can skip those if you're not interested and just get right into here. So without further ado, let's dig right in. So here we are with Desert of Desolation. These were uh, originally three separate modules published by TSR. Uh, let's see, it's Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Uh, I remember the first one. Oasis of the White Palm and the Lost Tomb of Martek. Yes. And this is all for first edition stuff. It's written by uh, Tracy and Laura Hickman. Yeah, uh, you may recall them uh, from, you know, much, I, I believe. Uh, oh, well, the Dragonline setting, yeah. But yeah. they did Ravenloft uh, famously as well. But, Correct. But. They were one of the great teams. So, so yeah, they, this is one. Uh, old gamers so, will
1: recognize those names.
0: So they... Uh, this was published in 82, uh, and it's definitely okay. a... Uh... Well, this compilation
1: was done in 87. but Yeah, this yeah, one is like... uh,
0: a compilation. Those were the original three modules, and they were they were generic. They were not very uh, world-specific. They were just on a standalone that you could insert or use as you seemed fit. But uh, they were rather well-received as creative. Their maps were unique, and uh, I'm going to get into that one in a minute. But uh, desert desolation is in this one. We're dealing with the super module, which compiles them and places them squarely in forgotten realms in the uh, desert. What is the uh, uh, is that Anorak? Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. A in, in vast, it, huge desert, uh, very ideal location for like a, a module of this type. Um.
0: Yeah, so this one um, starts out. Um, with the first uh, adventure there, it really places squarely in the Forgotten Realms, and I'm going to turn that over to Mike to talk about what his uh, impressions are of how well they did at putting this in the Forgotten Realms. Did they have to do much, or what did do? <sighs> Honestly, they
1: didn't have to do a whole lot. Okay, they, uh, there, there is an obvious conflict in it. Uh, some of that area was not well fleshed out in the initial supplements, um, but, <laughs> uh, what was it, uh, they will by choice or force go north to Raurin, to the cursed area called the Desert of Desolation. And honestly, they very smoothly transitioned to these three modules into a Forgotten Realms setting, uh, without being terribly disruptive. But you did have to add a number of areas, cities, and like a cultural traditions uh, that were not originally present. Uh, I don't, I don't
0: consider it grandfathering it in too much. No, yeah, they did. I mean, or they did uh, when they put, edition, this, when they put this into a. Uh a bigger format they did expand on the originals and it was initially intended that they wanted to give it some uh, workarounds to work into the wilderness survival guide and so if you have that laying around this is a good place for it as well
1: yeah in their early chapters here they are extremely specific about large-scale movement and travel uh water consumption and dehydration um you know uh, the fatiguing effect of overexertion and mounts uh you know the finding of water uh, the daily requirements uh, for survival it's an open admission that a significant portion of this uh, for the tougher dm is going to be about making the players manage their resources realistically this is a place where the environment itself is incredibly hostile to you, and since the campaign as a series is for character levels five through ten, um, you know it's assumed that like a, you're going to be raising a series of levels as you work your way through these three modules. Now bound into a single edition, uh, characters are going to have like time and places and locations where. They will have bolt holes for safety and the ability to train up uh, and access greater powers and new spells. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, you know, like, this module series included a number of original magical items, uh, new spells, things like
0: that. Monsters and stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, challenges. The Crypt Knights are quite... uh common throughout here. Yeah, there's a tough one. Yeah, you're going to get used to seeing them, so... <laughs> Uh, But setting
1: up the campaign, uh, comparatively simple process, you know, this is some mid-level characters who've got a little bit of clout uh, and they inevitably stumble upon information that uh, leads them, you know, like they are teased gently into, oh, we should perhaps have a look at this.
0: Now, uh, yeah, they they give you an encounter to get you started off and to put you in have a reason for taking your characters into this area, which is not really pleasing to most adventurers. Uh, a bunch of sand and uh, undead. Yep, that's pretty much it. But you pass the initial encounter, which is a nice key in. I like that. And then it goes you to know, Bralazar, uh, the gateway. Gateway to Raurin. Raurin, thank you. And this is where it deviates from the original module. Now the first module, I'm going to go back here and uh, retrace this. I've been looking at it. The first two, Pharaoh and Oasis White Palm, were both written by the Hickmans. And the lore of this is is that uh, he originally wrote this um, with a partner and uh they oh, i think it was called night ventures yeah here it is it's night uh, day west media productions and it was supposed to be these two modules together we're going to form a uh, solid book but uh the associates they went into business all went bad and left the hickmans who were uh newlyweds at the time with children young children into bankruptcy over thirty thousand dollars of bad checks left by their associate who fled town yeah. so he hickman um picked himself up and uh approached TSR, who then hired him as a game designer and asked that he moved to Wisconsin as the only consultation. So he was like, hey, I was just originally trying to get shoes for my kid and I ended up getting a brand new job writing what I wanted to do in the first place. So that worked out well. But oh, then,
1: and what a fruitful relationship that became. Because yeah. you know, they've been really
0: Oh yeah, Raven, Raven Moth came good. soon after and then Dragonlance and so the rest, as I so say, is history. But Last Team of Martech is written by somebody else. But it was based on the notes. And uh, this compilation here, I didn't mention the cover by Keith Parkinson, but I really like that mummy. And it really relates to the first adventure here, which we're going to get into, which is Pharaoh, which is pretty much what you'd expect. It's a kind of Egyptian-styled adventure that has a pyramid map that's in a 3D. And uh, it's basically a trap-filled maze with undead monsters. So (laughs) ready-made monsters. But before you get into that, you have... um, And some NPCs that they introduced to you right off the bat. Yeah. Which we want to say is, as far as being a dungeon master in this one, one thing this does is the areas that they fleshed out and built up have really benefited by a cast of NPCs that will help you support the campaign as you play through it.
1: Yeah, they did a very simple thing with the intro adventure, uh, or the introduction to this adventure, where the characters stumble upon a teleportation device, uh, and, you know, the the DM is very much encouraged to, like, highlight that device and get them to at least tamper with it. Uh, The accidental circumstances drop them uh, into the presence of a powerful mage and astrologer and advisor uh, in Bralazar. Uh, so far from their
0: original location, uh, and a little bit of DM big footing, but you know, no different than Ravenloft. Here, yard.
1: Yeah, uh, the point is, there is
0: something he would very much like for them to undertake. Uh, so, if you wanted, if you wanted to do away with, you feel like that's railroading or plot hammering your players, you could have a different way. Uh, you could have a representative from uh, what's his name, the astrologer mm-hmm. there, to come in and uh, approach the player characters to aid him perhaps through a... Uh, Aman a,
1: Al-Rakib.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, and he would, that guy, and he will come in and maybe a representative of, or uh, employee of his can come in and uh, help the player characters entice them to help. But should they be in Relazar once they are there,
1: uh, being there under the good auspices of Al-Rakib does help a lot. Because uh, <laughs> uh, total outsiders... And, you know, complete unfamiliar uh, persons, you know, may find difficulty uh, getting along in a strange place with, uh, you know, no purpose and no income.
0: Yeah, and the original uh, module just basically had uh, a tomb which is rumored to be theft-proofed. And that's the the hook. This has been provided a lot better. And uh, basically, you're confronted by the ghost of a long-dead pharaoh, which the original cover was metal as AF for me, and I ended up playing this with an alternate group from Mike and uh, our usual cast. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. But it didn't have the Forgotten Realms trappings as this one did. And uh, basically, to free yourselves from there, you have to search through items, which will end the curse, and get you the treasure. And uh, afterwards, there's about five levels to explore the pyramid and a large area outside.
1: Well, the challenge in... A nutshell is that there was an ancient pharaoh of incredible spell casting power who defeated a terrible opponent like you know, just that yeah shethuloid level evil uh, yeah it could mean the end of the world he defeated that but he contained it and he knew that he couldn't destroy it but he could hold it at bay for perhaps a thousand years and so Knowing that he would have to come back and fight it again, he expired, setting up everything in advance so that approximately a thousand years later it would be possible for someone to resurrect him at the exact and correct time for him to perform this once again you know, stand and fight against the ultimate evil. Uh, And this was Martek, the you know, much beloved and uh,
0: ancient leader Mm -hmm. and
1: what the characters will need are called the star jams
0: yep and this puts us into direct one to the next module which was the uh oasis of the white palm after the players and normally navigate to this one this is well set up and there's many travels now rather than just going from one to the next one like the original one i3 through five rather than going straight to i4 with a few encounters this one is a lot more travel oriented so be prepared for this uh, to really push your players on preparing for a long expedition. So- yeah, this
1: is 14 separate chapters in this book. And I mean, you know, once you've gotten out of Bralazar and understood the basic core of your mission, like what you're hoping to do is to assist, to bring about the circumstances that will allow Martek to save the world again. Uh, and, you know, that's across North Knife Pass. Through the desert of desolation, the sunken city of Pizar, uh, the tomb of Amun
0: Ra, and the oasis of the white palm. Yep, and those two adventures are not found in the original one. And so those two adventures comprise a lot of good interludes and links for players to uh, not only explore and gain some power for themselves, but also for the DM to sculpt a little bit of personal edge into the adventure. And again, these are not so much railroads. Okay, now you're going to this place. Okay, you're going to this place. But there are a lot of side quests and areas to explore to give your players a sense to immerse themselves, not only in this particular setting of the Super Module, but also the Forgotten Realms itself. So, this does a really good job of going through that. And when you get to the Oasis White Palm, uh, n- normally this is uh, <laughs> everything's uh, in-, in turmoil teacups over teakettles. Uh, <laughs> the bride of the Sheik's eldest son has been kidnapped, and apparently he believes that they're somewhere in the Oasis where they're holding her. And so, of course, go you must. And, well, now, of course, this is interlude with the Star Gems. And this is the first one of amun Ray's tomb, which you've had before. And uh, also this one has a nice little cover of with the gene on it. And so I like that one. I never got to the third one lost Tomb of Martin. I really got to r- r- run that one, although I later picked it up. But yeah, this is one where we spent a lot here and this is a big one and it includes a temple of set. So awesome. Yeah, uh, you know, cause any tomb of Set snakes in my city and it goes to the city of the phoenix where it's pretty cool where you get the star gems but uh, also free a gene and let loose a phoenix on your enemies <laughs> which yeah don't feel bad about it they had it coming they did they totally had it coming so
1: <laughs> oh, yeah what is it after the oasis of the white Palm? it's uh the temple of set the crypt of Mosak. Uh, the Lost City of Phoenix, and sky sea the Cursed City of Stone.
0: Yeah, now that one's a little bit, that's a new one, that last one there. But uh, those. there's a number of side quests and interludes into that and in some NPCs to interact with. So it's and, just
1: oh, not a wilderness,
0: crawler, dungeon bash. No, and it's got all of the above waiting for it,
1: including, you know, areas in cities where you will have to negotiate uh Abundant NPCs have been fleshed out in almost every single circumstance. Yeah, um, where you would be in a city and have to make contact
0: with people, they're not just going. Okay, we've only filled out one. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just. This is the only one you have to worry about. This is the main one we've given. Yeah, there's a handful of
1: NPCs in every area that are either helpful or hindering, uh, or <laughs> could be could go either way. It could be both. Right. You, you don't know how this might end up. Uh, They've got a wonderful sense of making sure that there's more than one way to skin the cat here. Now, some people worry about linear play. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about this. Um, The timing for this prophesied end conflict uh, is to be kept loose, and that allows the players a great deal of leeway in terms of tracking down the requisite star gems. And the order in which they go to these places is not absolutely fixed. You know how they choose to pursue this. You can, uh, not to make
0: a desert joke, but you can sandbox this if you like. Um,
1: Yeah, that. I see
0: what you did there, sir. Quite clever. Uh, Shame on me. I'm so ashamed and happy.
1: Um, (laughs) Uh, It is that simple. the players have a significant amount of freedom to wander, to invest themselves in the current situation, uh, to profit-seek, uh, to side-quest to their hearts complete. Yeah, uh, Not much is restricted to them, except that the yeah, it's a goal, lot. The, the original
0: three modules kind of provi- provided a linear, of course, that's not a flaw that was in purpose, a linear progression. And this one fleshes it out and also gives much more choices to the players during following the overarching goal of getting to the lost tomb of star Martega. Now this one they're getting spoiler alert, players if you're listening, you're gonna get all three star gems in the Oasis of the White Pop. You're gonna free the genie and get the Phoenix out of a hawk. And the genie's going to kind of stay around with you for a well, while. Uh, Oasis of the White Palm compressed a lot of that. Uh, but,
1: you know, I, I believe uh, at least.
0: Right. The crypt of uh, Badara al Mosak and the city of the Phoenix are the, the three places you got to hit. Yeah, there's there's three principal zones. set. Yeah. Because they got it coming oh boy don't don't, don't oh, yeah don't don't let those saidites convince you otherwise oh we're just completely we're just humble priests of another desert god don't fall for it yeah yeah snake coats also yeah don't take their offer of hospitality lightly never <laughs> trust the sedite yeah after that you'll you'll agree with going in never trust the smiling setup <laughs> oh of course We are but humble priests here to aid weary travelers on their journeys come rest inside the temple but yeah the next one kind of meddles it up a little bit and this one goes to the tomb now you got the star gems you've got the ability the genie helps you out so you're going to go to the tomb of martek he's been dead for what um, over a thousand years years, a thousand years so yeah so this is it lies in the vast desert of desolation now we gotta speed it up a little bit. They have to cross a sea of glass on skate ships. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. In the module. Like, but okay, we're gonna yourself, hurry this
1: up. What would make a desert
0: fused into glass? Yeah. Uh, we're talking some past conflict of you know horrifying possibility. Yep, and then you have to cross the sea of glass on skate ships, and there's plenty of rules for that for making it fun encounters and uh, along the way. And then you pass through the Crystal Prism in the Mobius Tower. That's where I'm going to pull the pin on what I put on earlier, the maps on this one. What sadist hates his mapper so much that you have to create a Mobius Tower? Now, if you know a Mobius loop that it goes back in and on itself, I need to say no more. But yeah, the towers themselves, each at each access, focus back on themselves and travel to another part of the tower that is not in any way... (laughs) Conveniently put out to map match to where you just exited to, so you're like, "Wait, I'm off the side of the map." Well, you should have been paying more attention, mapper. I mean, oh, oh. I mean, yeah. If you hate mapping map makers that much, this is why we grew out of that. I will say it's
1: legendary creativity. Okay. Yeah, this, this I mean, it's it's, a, it's an awesome idea. Conceptually, it is freaking brilliant. Um, that like in the 80s, like somebody really brought their A-game here and I, I believe uh, they put in a challenge there that just, it may be torment for the mapper, but it does force the party to think outside the box. You know, you're not giving them a choice on that. You're going to have to get creative and also trust to luck,
0: you know? Yep. And so this last part pretty much is organized the seven parts and uh, so there's no hustle on this one it should, this is once you enter in this one this is the end game so you're approaching your goal end goal that you've been set up for and so you also have to go through some planar travel to get to the city of citadel of martek itself and there once there you fight your way in you have to revive the dead wizard with the star gems and then he, having done so he lets them You know, the players earn their truth choices and there's some fine gems, or fine magic items, to reward the player characters with as he leaves to kick the Ifrit who have been bedeviling you all along, trying to prevent you from doing (laughs) this and sealing the star gems for themselves.
1: Yes, because uh, the vile entity, the extraplanar being that Martech stomped, uh, is not without a cheering section of his own. You
0: know, just... Yeah, and the thing, the Ifrit cannot touch the star gems. That's the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> they have to depend upon you to screw up somehow, you know they, yep, they want you to do it and, to
1: manipulate, uh, You know, which this is also why, like, there are other agencies besides the players themselves working towards these goals long term uh, but Martek set things up well, it takes a band of stalwart heroes to get through each of these cities uh, to acquire each of these star gems and then safely and bravely transport them to Martek's tomb it was not meant to be an easy ride.
0: So I want to put the the marker here. It's a great adventure, and I think it's underappreciated. It set the tone for what Chris Perkins would later call the the blueprint for the adventure path. It yeah, definitely the especially the super module. It, besides just being a definitive uh, kind of trick Egyptian themed module idea, the map making and the ideas dripped with atmosphere and. Pulled you in, and that's what they wanted to keep. It also uh, set a tone for basically uh, fa- fun with space-time distortion. In the <laughs> time, in the where's the trade statement When you look at the uh, the module, uh, the last part, he's like, yeah, it was basically uh, the Mobius Tower, the glass skating ships. That's some prime fantasy. That's some imagination being put to use here. And I cool. think that, that that's an era that we don't see much of kind of restricted restrictive. Uh, glass skating ships, why that smacks of technology. No, that's completely cool. I mean, that's just like a glass surface desert that's been blazed by the sun to a near uh, smooth mirror-like finish. And the only way to get across it is to take windbound ships that have glass hole uh, skates kind of catamarans kind of and that's how they get across by catching the ones all while playing the crystal ship by the doors it, there you go all right. not kidding. hey
1: you did you got where I was going for it. but yeah we're talking about a level of creativity that is to be respected I, I don't want to poo-poo anybody who may like something different in their fantasy and or science fiction right. uh, but I was you know profoundly impressed by it at the time. I mean, the (laughs) scope, the length of this, it presents players with an enormous array of options. And, wow, okay, playtime value? You know, in this case, this is the, you know, three-parter that includes the third and final portion of the conflict. And
0: also uh, the additional encounters. You're looking
1: at, like, a good year's worth of gaming. Okay, a a, a dedicated group of adventurers who meet every week without fail. Uh, You know, the the players are going to have themselves a great time. But for the money spent on this product at that time, what what did this retail for? Fifteen bucks. Okay, Uh, 1987, this triple bundle with plenty of maps and lots of
0: side questing. $15. $15. And new opportunities for role playing, wilderness adventure, and some new dungeons to explore if you already have played through. Now I played with the first two with uh, another group that I was meeting with. Um, I was moonlighting on the side. Just oh, kidding. was
1: that the Kalamazoo bunch?
0: No, that was uh, Ted Darling and Lonnie and a couple of those guys. Oh, it's uh? Yeah, they, they would show up every other weekend.
1: And I'm trying to remember
0: the fella with the red beard. Terrible temper. Dan? Yeah. Yeah, Dan. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's virtually where I, I, I met Steve Miller and then Dan. But, yeah. So, these guys, uh, they played and improved on it, and we did it. And I did like the ramp up in there, you know, the, the feeling of once they get the three star gems, now they've got to freeze the gin so that they don't get hounded. And then the Phoenix shows up and just smothers the Sedites and fire and <laughs> anger for its imprisonment. Yeah. <laughs> Man, shouldn't have imprisoned the Phoenix. Oh, well yeah, that's the only thing you can do. You can't kill it. Because oh, every time you kill it, it blows up in a 20 hit dice fireball and then reforms next round. <laughs> so you're kind of in an impasse, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah something yeah, like that. Yeah. One of those. The best way is just don't fight it. It's kinda of it's kind of a nice creature yep. for the most part. Not benevolent. Exactly not um, here to not unless you're evil it's not meaning you any harm it'll, it'll roughly leave you alone even if you're a kind of uh i'm naming, a jerk it, i'm naming it firebird firebird yep firebird. but yeah these modules i mean these modules don't hit the, the big times that uh the dungeon poll it's listed as uh right up there let's see what does dungeon say about it the dungeon of all times i think it's rated uh sixth greatest adventure of all in dungeons magazine when they did the wow. ratings so um and that's you a bold seem- statement i might not
1: i, I, I don't want to declare it to be a single dungeon like i almost wouldn't quantify it because it was not a single dungeon but rather a conglomerate of three yeah
0: series of adventures uh,
1: but i can't argue with the fact that it's quality
0: product well it's claimed that that's what started the adventure path more than even uh gdq uh one through eight
1: yeah because those were not intentional okay those were a series of modules that you know adventure path all right they were pretty simple if you look at the original like uh monochrome editions mm-hmm. they were very simple very straightforward uh and it was three or four adventures each you know, like you got your little slavers thing that came along uh, you got your little giants thing and you got your little drought thing uh, they weren't necessarily intended originally to be all linked together But people often did it that way because of their relative connection in terms of like this one's for the mid-levelers and this one's for the somewhat higher levelers and this is for the really high level. It worked out that way. This this was purely intentional. This is a better example of a true adventure path where you're going to start off mid-levelers. And when you're done, you're gonna have some heavy hitting clout.
0: Yeah, you um, your thieves. Can and you clerks. imagine
1: buying a year of gameplay uh, or a year and a half of gameplay even for fifteen bucks now? Yeah, I know. Yeah, name a video
0: game like you know fifteen. Well, bucks. yeah, the new Kingmaker from Pathfinder Second Edition, the the revised edition, is a hundred bucks. Yeah, that's and that's comparable. That's, how much the that's has Changed. Yep. So. Yeah, and this is one that just gets overlooked, so we're, I'm really happy that we were able to cover this. I've been kind of advocating for it, but we just never seem to find the time. So I thanks, Mike, for helping uh, look that over and you know, giving us your thoughts. I, gotta
1: say, it's still an impressive piece of work all the years later. It's not one that I ever ran. I was only tertiarily familiar with it, like secondhand. Uh, and I kind of lament now that I never got a chance to run that. I did have some desert adventuring that I DM'd. Uh, in Anarok, uh, the the great desert there. But uh, I never really expanded upon on that. There was an ancient German and all that. you remember the, uh... Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Steve Pauly touching that jewel, which I, I I, knew somebody would try to touch it.
0: Yeah, and I got it. Yeah, they, they hacked off his finger to close that gate he accidentally <laughs> opened. Yeah, open that gate, chop.
1: Yeah, his character was named Callan Ninefingers
0: after that. Of well, the nine Ninefingers. Fingers.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, all right. So we're gonna have to wrap it up here. Times are enough for us. Yeah, that's right. We appreciate you listening to it, Mm -hmm. and let us know what you think. With feedback, uh, with some feedback Mm -hmm. of our new format. So, and until next time, may May the the dice always roll in your your favor. We're out. See ya.